started and we did not finish. So I know we got some folks here tonight that weren't here last week, so I'm going to read, because I really only have about a 12-minute sermon tonight. And you're thinking, well, then just give us the 12 minutes and we can go. The kids go till 7. So I'm going to give you a little bit extra that I might have left out last week. And it just, you, this stuff is so good in the book of Romans here. I couldn't just fly through the last little bit. We need to take time to go through it. When we were in chapter number 4, as we studied there, we saw the fact that Abraham was justified by faith, not by works. Our justification is based on what Jesus Christ did for us. Our works could never atone or amount to get us where we need to be. I think the song Rock of Ages just covered that pretty well in the song there. And so after Paul makes the case and helps those understand that Abraham is justified by his faith, he starts out chapter number 5, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. You just think about some of those things listed there. As Christians, we can glory in tribulation. Think about that. It's a tough one to think on. But think about someone who doesn't know the Lord, who has no hope. A hard time comes in their life, what's to come of it? We as believers know that when hard times come, that the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, he's doing a work in us. And the tribulations, the trials that come into our life, they help produce patience. And church, we all need more patience. God's trying to do a work in us. We need it. I heard someone say a long time, and people tease about, don't pray for patience, but in all honesty, we do need it. That's a, we should be praying for, you say, but if I pray for patience, I might have a trial. Let the Lord just do his work. He knows what's best in each of our lives and what we need. We see that knowing tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, maturity. Maturity in the Christian life comes through the trials that we go through. No one ever promised the Christian life to be easy, but he's with us every step of the way. And we see that we have hope. And thank God for the hope. And hope that make it not a shame. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you as a believer tonight? I am. You think about the Old Testament, and I just think about David's prayer of repentance. Remember in Psalm 51? Hey, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And we'd read in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit would come and go. He would come on someone. You think about Samson. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and then he cut his hair. The Holy Spirit left him. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, and when he said it is finished, literally it was all finished, and that ushered in the fact that the Holy Spirit would come in to indwell believers, and he would never leave. It's a, it's a, what an honor and a privilege it is for us to have the Holy Spirit with us every day and a part of our lives. He's literally there to guide us into truth and to help us 
on this journey that we're in. He will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And to think that the Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Father is and just as much God as Jesus Christ is. And he comes to indwell us. Wow. We get to tonight's message, and I'm going to review a little bit from last week, and I'll give you the end of tonight. When we look at verse number 6 of chapter 5, For when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet preadventure for a good man would some even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Father, I pray you bless the next few minutes we have in your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Romans and this special passage right here. Pray that you'd help us tonight to apply it to our lives and just to see some of the wonderful things that you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We read there in verse number... 8 at the end of it, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I told you last week the title of my message tonight is, All This Just For Us. All that he went through, all that he suffered for us. As we just review and run through the points real quick, we see number one, we see man's hopeless condition. As we read these verses, there are some things that were pointed out to us by Paul under inspiration here that give us some insight to things. Paul tells us and basically sums up man's condition in four things. We're without strength, we're ungodly, we're sinners, and we're God's enemy. Those four terms describe where we were before salvation. This is God's poor, how God portrays humanity. Let's just talk about this just a little bit and review it a little bit and just put a little more thought to it. When we think about man's hopeless condition, we think about letter A, that man is weak. The Bible says right here in these verses, for when we were without strength, this phrase without strength, it carries the idea of being powerless. It speaks of people who have no way to help out their cause. There is nothing in ourselves that could solve the problem that man has. Because man's problem goes back, and we'll look at next week, if the Lord allows, how sin entered into the world in verse number 12, through Adam. But when that happened, man did not have a way to fix the problem. We were without strength. The idea is that the lost sinner stands before God with no ability to change what he is. Hey, church, just think about it. Before salvation, it, we could not escape sin. We could not escape death. We could not resist devil. We could, the devil. We couldn't escape the wrath of God because the wrath of God abided on us before salvation. Man is weak without strength. Let her be. Man's wicked. Verse number six says, For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Ungodly refers to those without reverence for or fear of God. It literally means to live your life as if God doesn't exist. And you look around our world tonight. Turn on the news. Look at what's going on in our world. People live as if there's no God and no consequences for actions that they commit. And this is, this is how man is. Sometimes we want to look and say, we're good. No, man is not good. There is nothing good in us. I know sometimes we, we want to, I hear Christians even go off on self-help books. You can't help something that can't be helped. You need Jesus. You need the one who can change your heart. That's the only hope that we have today is Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, working in our lives. That's it. And so man's ungodly. Next, man's wayward. In that while we were yet sinners, the word sinner means to miss the mark. Carries the idea of an archer aiming at a bullseye with his best ability and totally missing it. I told you a while back, I started, uh, when we lived in Montana, I, um, I got pretty good with my rifle. 300 yards away with a scope on there, I did pretty good. I could hit the, I could get within a good grouping at 300 yards, no problem. I've always had a problem with a handgun. It's different. And if you know that there, and I didn't realize some things, I had someone help train me with it some. First time I went out shooting with a handgun, I'm only about 25, 30 yards away from the target. And the first five shots, I didn't even hit the paper. God has his laws. God has his, God, there's those things. We totally miss the mark. That's what sin is. Sinners. We don't add up to what we need to be. Now, I've gotten a lot better. My groupings are nice, and it's gotten a lot better, so don't think it's still the same as it was. It's gotten a lot better. But no matter how hard man tries to be good, man can never be good enough. That's why attempting to get to heaven based on what we do will never work, because man can never be good enough. We'll always miss the mark on our own. And then man is warlike. When I talk about that enemy, literally the enemy of God, Think about that one. That's why we sing that song, Once Your Enemy, Now I'm Seated at Your Table, Jesus, Thank You. But we look at verse number 10, For if when we were enemies, you see, before salvation, we were not children of God, like everyone likes to claim. We were the enemy of God. We're at enmity with Him. That's what the Bible teaches us. And when you are lost and when without salvation, you're not on the Lord's side. You're on the devil's side. You're in the devil's camp. And we're opposed to God. We're his enemy. And that's, you know, sometimes I hear Christians say, I'm glad the Lord's on my side. He's not on our side. You need to be on his side. You're either on his side or you're on the other side. And we want to be on his side. It's the winning side. But before salvation, where is that? I mean, think about our hopeless, man. We're weak. We could not figure it out for ourselves. We couldn't do it on our own. We're ungodly. We act like there even is no God, and we want nothing to do with God. We're sinners. We totally miss the mark. 
and were God's enemy. That was man's condition. From the fall of man till present day, without Christ, that's how we are. Before salvation, that's how we were. But what we see is man's hopeless condition. We see number two, we see Christ's boundless compassion. We have a Savior that cares. It says, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man would some even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we think about his boundless compassion, we think about this, his compassion exceeded the love of man. Paul tells us in verse 6 and 7 that there are a few people in life that men might die for. Who would those persons be in your own life? Who would you be willing to die for? I'm sure there would be some you'd be willing to die for. I would, I would say, and I hope that's playing on the spot, I would be willing to die for my wife so she could live. My four kids, I would hope that I'd put my life in danger to keep them safe. But that's, na that's a natural thing. We love people, we love some people, and so some people, it's easier to say, I would die for them. There's some of you in this room I might die for. Not all of you, but we'll leave that there. Say, which ones? It's none of your business. I'll talk to the Lord about that later on. But imagine that you're eating a meal in a restaurant with one of your children when suddenly a gunman enters the place and begins shooting all around you. What's your immediate response as a parent? Hide under the table? Try to get away? Attempt to overpower the gunman? Or somehow protect your child? I would say you'd be going to protect your child. There was a man named, and this is a real story, James F. Kidd of Wheaton, Illinois. And the answer was easy. He was visiting his son who was stationed at Fort Bragg. They went to a nearby Italian restaurant to eat, and while they were eating, a gunman entered the building and began firing into the customers. When it was over, 11 people had died, including James Kidd. When the shooting started, he had used his own body to shield his son from the bullets, and he himself had died from the gun wound to the back. Later on, his wife said this, he was a good man, a good father, and a good husband. He died saving his son. I don't think you can say much better about someone, a father, that he'd be willing to do that. There's another true story that involved two miners. They were mining, and they were trapped in a cave-in. They were trapped in a mine, and they had two oxygen masks, but the problem was one of them was damaged. Only one of these men would be able to get out alive. One of the miners was a single man. He handed the good mask to the other one and said, you take it, you got a wife and children. I don't have anybody. You go, I'll stay. We hear stories about that and courage, compassion, love. All of those are examples of rare courage and sacrifice. But they have something in common. 
They demonstrate the human capacity to give ourselves for the sake of those that we love. Family, friends are one thing. But can you imagine tonight giving your life for your enemy? Human love has its limits. Thankfully, the love of God has no limits. Verse 6 tells us this is exactly what Jesus did. He didn't die for the good. He died for the ungodly. You see, his compassion exceeded the love of man. The letter B, his compassion exhibited the love of God. Verse number 8, look at what it says. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Notice how his love was not for someone near and dear, a family member. It wasn't, it was for those against him. Sinners, we see that right before our eyes here. You see, while we were yet sinners, while we were weak, while we were ungodly, while we were sinners, while we were his enemy, Jesus died for us. He didn't die for his friends. He died for his enemies. That goes beyond anything we would ever do. Think about the one person you don't really like in this world. And first off, you should get right and like everybody. Get along with people. Jesus did. And uh, be a Christian. That doesn't mean you need to go out to lunch with them every day or have them over to your house every week, but you can still be nice to everybody. Be nice to everybody because everybody's having a hard day. I've heard that over and over again. I think it's something good for us. He didn't die for people who loved him. He died for the very people who crucified him. He's not our king. Crucify him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they Pretty powerful, huh? Imagine that gunman going into that restaurant where James Kidd was there with his son. And imagine that gunman going through and shooting and someone coming back to shoot the gunman and that man jumping in front and stopping the bullet for the guy who was shooting everyone else in the room. None of us would do that. But that's exactly what Jesus did. His compassion exhibited the love of God. That's why Paul could say, which we'll get to in a few weeks, that nothing, that he's persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because his love has no limits. His love is far beyond anything we could ever possess and figure out. That's why Paul prayed for the believers in Ephesus that they would just know the love of Christ and the breadth, the length, the width, the height, and to get a grip and to grasp what his love's all about. We don't really, we'll sing songs, amazing love, how can it be? that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. But do we really think about what love that was? Because it's a love that none of us possess. It's hard for us to fathom. That's what Jesus did for us, Christ's boundless compassion. And, you know, we hear people, and I hear people often, if, if God is a God of love, 
then why does he allow bad things to happen? That's such a foolish question. If there's any doubt in the minds of anyone about the love of Christ, all we got to do is point them to the cross. Hey, greater love hath no man than this, than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. You see, the holy, sinless Son of God, the creator of the world, died for the creature that hates him. Think about that. His blood ran down. He became our sacrifice. Don't ever ask me or tell me if God really loved them, bad things wouldn't happen. Then why in the world did Jesus do all that he did for us? That's love. If that isn't love, I don't know what is. We get to number three, and now we're going to cover the end of the message here tonight. We see where we were. We see what Christ's compassion, what he did for us. Where we were, what Christ did, and what becomes of us. Our matchless completion. Our matchless completion. Verse number 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we are reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the atonement. Paul tells us what we become because of what Christ did for us. So remember, before I give you these here, and we run through the end of the message here, we were weak, without strength, we're ungodly, we lived our lives as if God didn't exist. We missed the mark with everything that we did, and we were God's enemy. We were helpless, hopeless, no hope. But the God of all compassion saw a need and took care of our need. And in his compassion, he died for the weak. He died for the ungodly. He died for for us, his enemies. And look at what becomes of our hopeless condition here tonight. We see, as we look at this, it begins by saying, much more than. We have been completed in Christ. Notice what we have because of Jesus. We see this letter A, we see our position, that we're justified. Much more than being now justified by his blood. We have covered this word before, but just as a reminder here tonight, the word basically means to declare a person not guilty. Even though we're sinners, even though we deserve hell, even though we are guilty, God is able through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his blood to look at me and say, Brian is clear he's not guilty. I'm justified. Let's be honest. I know I'm guilty. You know you're guilty too. You walk into a courtroom, and in that courtroom, the evidence is all there. It's all been laid out. The defense, the prosecution, both know you're guilty. The judge knows you're guilty, and you know you're guilty. 
and then the jury comes back and says not guilty. He's guilty. Before God, let's be honest, we're all guilty. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God looks at us and says, Brian's not guilty. He's been justified. Just as if he never sinned. That's our position. Justification. He says that, think about this. We go from enemies to being pleasing in the sight of God. We're accepted by God. God sees me as if I never sinned. He sees us like he sees his son. Justified. It's our position. Let her be. Our protection. Not only are we justified through his blood, but it says we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Because we are in Jesus, we are protected from the wrath of God. Remember this morning in the service we looked in the book of Revelation? The day of the wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb. Now people are going to be crying out for the rocks to fall on them, for the mountains just to take them out. Because they don't want, because of the wrath of God being unleashed. And it's going to be unleashed on this world. That day on the cross, the wrath of God was put all over Jesus Christ. That's why you don't have to take the wrath of God for yourself. Jesus already took the wrath of God and satisfied the wrath of God so that you don't have to abide under the wrath of God. But if you don't have the Son, you haven't trusted in the Son, put your faith in the Son, the wrath of God abides on you still. That's what the Scripture teaches us. But because of what Jesus did, we go from a hopeless, helpless situation to being protected, saved from wrath. No child of God ever need to fear dying and going to hell. I do not understand churches that preach and teach a works-based salvation or a works-based salvation to stay saved. I do not, if he is good enough, and when he cried out, it is finished, it wasn't just for that moment. It was forever. If salvation is not based on me and my performance... It's based on his blood, his righteousness, and that settles it. And we've got to be very careful in that area. You've got to understand something. No longer does the wrath of God abide on us. Jesus paid the price for us. We're free from the penalty of sin because of what Jesus did for us. We see our position. We see our protection. Let her see. We see our peace. Peace. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. The word reconciled means to take enemies and to make them friends. Because of what Christ did for us, no longer are we in opposition to God. We've been brought together through the blood of Jesus Christ. God called a truce and put away the battle flags. We're no longer fighting. And we have peace because of what Jesus did for us. And you've got to understand something. Our relationship is so close that he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And we have direct access into the throne room of God. We have Hebrews 4.16 back there. 
Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You have access to the throne of grace because of what Jesus did. Man, the Old Testament, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holy area once a year. And if things were not done just a specific way, he would die on the spot. And Jesus Christ died on the cross. The temple veil was rent in two. And when you know Christ and when you put your faith in him, you have access to the throne room of grace. Powerful. That's quite a bit different from being weak and being ungodly and being sinners and being enemies. Hey, he's justified us saved us from wrath we're reconciled we are at peace with god and not through anything that we've done but through him and his sacrifice then we see letter d our um, preservation the end of verse 10 says we were reconciled to god by the death of the son much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life Those words tell us that Jesus is alive today. He's alive. You know that? He lives. He lives, Christ Jesus. He lives today. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. He's alive tonight. And praise God that he's alive. And you've got to understand something. This part that says saved by his life, this is not talking about the life he lived here on earth. It has everything to do with what he is doing today for us. Think about that with me. Because he lives, you and I have absolute security tonight as believers. Nothing ever can, nothing ever will come between us and God because Jesus stands there on our behalf. You notice there's two great texts that bear this out and let us understand this. What Jesus is doing today, the first one is this, that he's our advocate. He's our advocate. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1, the Bible says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. So, oh, well, that doesn't help. We're not supposed to sin. But look what it says. And if and when you do sin, when you sin, guess what you have, church? We have an advocate. We have an advocate that's with the Father tonight, Jesus Christ the righteous. When we're accused before God, you think about this, the Lord Jesus takes our part before the bar of heaven. He stands in our defense and says, see the nail prints? See them in my feet? I paid the price for Brian's sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He shows the Father his wounds, tells the Father, hey, they belong to me. Not guilty, case closed. He's our advocate. What else does he do today? He's our intercessor. Simply stated, he is praying for you and me as we journey towards our heavenly home. I'm glad for all those people who pray for me, but it thrills me to know that my Savior intercedes for me. He even did it before he died on the cross in John chapter 17. 
Bible tells us in Hebrews 7 and verse 25, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto him, unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. What a blessing that is. He intercedes. I have people often, there's someone I was talking to the other day, uh, people often, they'll text me, they'll be like, Pastor, I need you to pray for this. I need you to pray for this. One of the things I try to remind everyone is my prayers are no more special than anyone else's prayers in the room. And I was talking to someone just the other day, and they were like, Pastor, I just don't even know what I'm supposed to pray. I took them to this verse. He knows what you need. He's making intercession for you. The Spirit knows what you need. Praise God for that. But as we look at that phrase, saved by his life, as he's there and he's preparing our mansion, he's our advocate, he's our intercessor. Letter E, and we're just about done here. See, we needed two weeks to go through all this. And if I'm boring anyone talking about all that we have in Christ, you might want to get saved tonight. I can talk with you after the service. Letter E, we see our praise in verse number 11. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our praise. We joy in God. That is because these things are true. Because we're saved and secure in our salvation, we are filled with praise to the King. If there was ever a reason to praise the Lord, I think the things we're talking about tonight would give all of us a great reason to praise Him tonight got to understand something days are going to be difficult there's going to be hard times but there's one thing we can all rejoice in right the fact that our name is written in heaven i think jesus said that and then we see lastly letter f we see our privilege our privilege it says at the end there by whom we have now received the atonement we were given the atonement this phrase reminds us that we have been made one with God. Think about tonight, church. An old, lost, hell-bound sinner. Now one with God. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for those without strength. He died for the sinner. He died for his enemy. All through history, man has wanted to be brought near to God. That's why Israel sacrificed all those animals for so many years. The sheep, the cows, the birds on the altars. That's why every year Muslims sacrifice millions of animals on Mecca. What the blood of those dead animals could never do for them the blood of Jesus Christ did for us. When I look at these verses, I'm just amazed at what he did for me. He did so much. Hey, church, our blessings are far greater than you could ever imagine. Just some of those, those few words, much more than if he just saved us from hell and stopped there, that would have been enough. But he didn't stop there. All that he did 
for us. And I know sometimes we look at ourselves, we think God got a good deal when he got us, right? God got no deal when he got any of us. He got with every one of us the same thing. Weak, ungodly, sinners that were his enemies. That's what he got. But he loved us in spite of it. That also should just give you a little challenge tonight as we're dismissed here in just a moment. Far too many Christians don't understand and have security in their life. They're very insecure. Jesus Christ, if he is willing to die for you and love you the way that he does, you can find security in him with all that he's done for you. He loves you that much. You mean something to him that he is willing to die for you. What a God. What a Savior.